Welcome to your Space to be Heard podcast. I'm Laura Stead, Managing Director of Space to be Heard, and I'm joined this week by my colleague, Shell Shanley, Clinical Director at Space to be Heard, and Emma Pooley. Emma Pooley's our guest this week, and she has very generously offered to join us to talk about and explore her personal experience of being in therapy and also becoming a therapist. We're keen to explore what that journey has been like for Emma, particularly in her journey within the workplace and what sort of journey she's been on since becoming a therapist. Let's see where it takes us. Okay, thanks Laura. So yeah, thank you for joining us today. It would be really great to hear from you a little bit about what attracted you to the world of psychotherapy. So I started having therapy myself about five and a half years ago having had to be signed off from work with work-related stress and anxiety and it was the first therapist I worked with who suggested I think about training as a psychotherapist myself and here I am five years later having done four years of training in transactional analysis and running a private practice in home. Wow well done. Thank you. So when your therapist first suggested to you that it might be something cool to training yourself, what did that spark off for you? What what was that like? I was quite taken aback, to be honest. I've always found talking to people really natural. I've always really enjoyed it. And I've found that people seem to connect well with me. So it sort of made sense, but it wasn't really something that I'd ever considered doing for myself really. I suspect you might have been a little bit of a while into your therapeutic journey before that happened so without wanting to be too personal why did it seem like a good idea to you to go to therapy to help you in your workplace or to support you in being off work or whatever that looked like for you? So for me at the point at which I decided I really needed to get some help it was like the culmination of lots of things happening in fairly quick success so the job I was in at the time was so highly pressured and stressful in and of itself lots of things had happened in my personal life that just had a massive impact on where I was in myself and it basically meant that I started having really horrible flashbacks and it was not a good place to be in and what I knew about myself was that if I didn't do something about it then it would only get worse And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be in a place of getting any worse than I already was at the time. So I decided I needed to go and get some help, went to a GP and they initially said, well, your options are medication or counselling. And I thought, well, I'm not taking medication personally. That's not the choice for me. So I decided I'll go and get some therapy. Best thing I've done. Yeah. When you accessed the therapy, did you get that through your GP or did you seek your own therapy? I sought my own therapy. Yeah, I did it privately. The waiting list was so long to go through the NHS. That's something that I guess is an ongoing part of what Space to be Heard works towards is creating pathways for people that mean you don't necessarily have to pay the private fees to access the therapy. But if you are able, it can be a great route to go down. And it obviously worked for you and brought you here. So what was that like being out of work? How, how long did you have to take off? I was signed off completely for five weeks. And then I went back on a phase return 
and I was back for, I want to say about seven or eight weeks, and I just couldn't do it. It was just like, I can't face going back to full time in this and the cycle, so I left that job. What was going on with the conversations at work at that time with your managers, with your peers? Did you feel able to be open or not? Or Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a choice in it, because um, it was actually when I was on my way to work just before I was signed off that I had a panic attack on route and I managed to get into work and I was just in no fit state to be there at all and I was just really honest with my colleagues at the time and I just said look I'm really really struggling with this I really can't do it and they were really supportive of me like taking the time off they were like you know take the time that you need and when I went back on the phase return, they were very supportive of making sure that my workload was reduced. But it was like, we can't keep this indefinitely. So on like one level, it was really, really supportive. But then there's, there's a bit of an undercurrent of a, OK, so this can't go on forever then. You kind of been managed at reduced hours. I think the problem was that the nature of the job I was in at the time was so demanding that it couldn't really be done on a part-time basis and to be honest I just really didn't want to keep going into work feeling stressed before I got there because I was just on edge all the time always wondering what am I going to get to deal with today what's going to happen and it's not okay that's not an okay place to be in when you're at work so yeah I got to the point where I was like my health and well-being matters more than trying to plough through in a job that clearly isn't going to help me with this. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's that sort of awareness which you talk about with great clarity, really, that this wasn't okay for you anymore. And knowing that that level of stress was impacting on your health and it was looking like panic attacks and anxiety in terms of symptoms. So I wonder for somebody listening to this that has a sense of something's not okay for them and a sense that they're not feeling well anymore, how do they identify that actually this might be a driver for me not feeling well and what do I do about that? I think it's a really interesting question because some people don't know what's wrong. You know, they've got a sense they might have a panic attack, they might feel very low, but the driver to actually asking for help. I think that's a really interesting point. And there's something for me about how that kind of conversation is approached. And I think that that pertains to in the workplace and out the workplace. You know, when people talk about mental health, there's almost like belief that we should talk about people with poor mental health or people who are ill in some way and that's still a bit taboo still a bit of a stigma attached to that in a lot of ways unfortunately and yet you know staff well-being in the workplace is really high on the agenda and so how do we get those conversations to join up I suppose in our world it's a continuum isn't it it's it's all the same conversation we maybe use different language and how can employers and and anybody else use that as a way in to support people you know is it okay to say oh you're okay today you you don't seem yourself you know because I think that that's quite a brave step because some people will be really accepting of that and other people won't so if you didn't come into your work on that day feeling very distressed what might have been a really useful conversation or, or what would have been helpful to hear from one of your peers for me personally my classic signs are taking on too much work so overworking having work on my mind all the time and I mean all the time it was affecting sleep it was affecting me being able to go out and socialize I couldn't switch off Mm. that's not good that's not healthy I think if you've got a lot of anxiety generally about going into work not necessarily about being there but about the work itself that's a sign 
And so I think that it's really important to keep kind of checking in with each other on that well-being place. Like even if it's once a week of everybody kind of having an opportunity to say where they are with their workload, where they are in themselves. Because I think that's a more comfortable way in for a lot of people is to link it more to what they're doing rather than how they feel. So more people find it easier to say, actually, I've got too much work on then I feel really stressed and anxious and I can't cope with this. Yeah, and I guess the danger is if we don't identify that's how you're feeling at that point, that's when the overwhelm becomes too much and then it becomes a difficult place to come back from. But once you've become unwell or you've hit the wall, and I guess we classically would maybe call that burnout, I guess is something that people might relate to or understand rather than anxiety or panic attacks. So, yeah, there's something about knowing what feels too much for yourself and the identifying what that looks like for you. Yeah, and I really like that idea of having those live conversations. Do exactly what you're both saying, you know, to make it okay to be able to say, well, I'm actually having a, a bad day. And it not to mean you can't do your job or it not to mean that you, you're not going to be all right tomorrow. And it's unfortunate and, and I think it happens in a lot of places where people get to the point where they feel they have to go off or anything happens. And then I think having those more live conversations does exactly what you say, Laura. It like keeps it real. It keeps it alive and it it stops people getting to the point where they feel they have to either go off sick or ultimately leave. I think for me going for therapy acknowledging I had a problem was really hard. Looking back now I wish I'd done it much much earlier really do and I would absolutely say for somebody struggling now that prevention is better than cure you know it really is the sooner you notice something is off the sooner you can do something to address it and change it and I think what I found with therapy in making the decision to not be in that job anymore was I was being honest with myself that it wasn't right for me that it probably wasn't ever going to be right for me and that was a very different process for me because previously I would have gone yeah I know that and I'm still going to keep going and going and going because I don't see that I have the choice not to do that and actually therapy helped me to see that I did have a choice and I could do that and I could be honest with myself and make a choice that was better for me in the long run it feels very freeing just hearing you you talk like that you know that that notion of choice it sounds such a simple one yet when we actually drill down into what choice means even in our own autonomy we can restrict ourselves and I guess staying in an organization as leaving an organization doing whatever it is whatever choices that we make but to have true autonomy in making those choices god that's got to be so empowering really was Mm -hmm. i think i shocked myself (laughs) (laughs) to be fair like i really did i really surprised myself with the kind of conviction in that choice in that decision to go i don't want to do this never mind whether i could or not it wasn't about my capability because i'd shown i could do it it was about me not wanting that for myself anymore and taking back that ownership of what i actually want for myself it's huge it's a massive thing to take yeah definitely I think it is huge. I think, I don't know whether sort of culturally, we just think we should. There's lots of messages, isn't there, that we all carry and absorb throughout our lives. But I think there is something really massive about saying, actually, I'm employed, I've got a pretty good job here, but I don't want it anymore. And then also equally going into retrain and move into a completely different career. It's it's brave. We should shout out to the Ellesmere Centre, shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Ellesmere Centre is our partner organisation that's based to be heard grew out of really so they 
are a training centre on Holdness Road and they train people in predominantly counselling and transactional analysis psychotherapy. So yeah, they have trained all of us and they provide us with excellent CPD and staff that come and work for Space to be Heard. So yeah, a really important partner for us. So one of the key parts about transactional analysis is that it's a change therapy. That's talked about very early on, that, that this is about autonomy and empowering to be able to make change. And it should come with that warning sign, which it often does, that it will change things significantly in your life, be it relationships, jobs, careers, choices, whatever that looks like. And it does happen, you know, which can be for the good, but it can be quite, you know, difficult for other people living alongside the people in therapy too. So it's really interesting at the moment in terms of what's happening in the wider world in terms of COVID. We've hit a year now, haven't we, of living in uncertain times and restrictions and we don't need to talk about all of the um, experience of the last year to know what that's been like. We've all been living it. Um, but what has changed um, in the last few weeks is is that there will be more of a move back to work as, as people are able to come out of shielding as the rules change, there is more of an expectation that we will be returning into the workplace. I know it's something that, you know, Space to be Heard is an organisation that employs people, so we've been talking about that a lot. What will that be like for our staff? You know, how will people experience that? In the first instance, we adapted quite quickly to being at home and doing our work from the safety of our own homes, which felt different and challenging in some ways, but also quite safe because we knew the boundaries and the parameters in which we lived at home. I think going back into work poses different threats to people and not just a health threat as in you might catch COVID. I think for some it could be quite anxiety provoking after being living within their own parameters. So I wonder, you know, how much we are going to see a struggle in people returning to work. And as an organisation that takes lots of referrals from people living within Hull and East Riding, we can see that referrals are increasing now. There was a big drop off in referrals at the start of the pandemic, I think, because people thought that it wasn't going to be so easy to access help and support. And we've seen that gradually increase to where we think we will be taking more referrals than pre-pandemic. So we know that people's mental health has been impacted by the pandemic in lots of different ways. So I think it's really important that in our own organisation we respond to that, but also start talking about how we respond to people out there that need help and employers that might need guidance and help with how to work with mental health, with people returning and struggling. Absolutely, I think it's such an interesting debate and, you know, I guess I'd like to start by sharing a personal experience. You know, after being at home with my kids for six months before they went back to school, being sat in my own little bubble in my office, albeit having connections through Microsoft Teams, you lose you, you lose a bit of that connectedness. But as Laura said, I had an element of safety in that. And I know that we've gradually started returning to, to the workplace. And I know, I don't mind sharing that I had a, a real wobble the first day that I had to get in my car because I live about a 45 minute commute away and I was like oh what's this I'm leaving the house and pre-pandemic I wouldn't have I'd have done it in the blink of an eye you know it would have I'd just stepping out the front door so I do think it's going to be really really fascinating to see how this does impact obviously everybody's experience is going to be so individualized so I think it's about having those really open and live conversations about what what's it like for you then you know you know as an employer and as an employee I think that that's what I'd like to hear and that's what I'd like to be saying you know as therapists we are not used to going through 
a collective experience with our clients in the way that we have through COVID. You know, we've not been able to switch off just as our clients haven't. So that's been quite hard to get my head around as well, I think. And and it will be interesting to see how everybody shifts when we start opening up in the world again. It's new normal, you know. It, it's it's strange because it's almost said with a bit of a, of a collective understanding. But, you know, we, we don't know what that might mean for everybody, you know. So how do we manage that uncertainty? How do we start to have those just really open conversations so it becomes a thing to say in the office, like, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Because I guess it's our norm, isn't it, to say yes. things like that. Yes, we do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is is good. You know, so it, I guess you know there's a lot more talk about mental health in the media nowadays than there ever has been, and and the obvious one is that it's okay to not be okay, and I think a lot of people have heard that and seen it and understand it too. But whether we practice it is another matter, and I think it has to become more important to ask those questions if you are okay or not, if or if we notice there is something different with our friend or colleague you know and for us to go into this sort of next stage of covid with that awareness that probably people will be more impacted in their okayness at the moment and they might not feel okay and it has to be okay to share that yeah yeah and if you're not okay how can people be supported to necessarily know the pathways and route ways into accessing support it should they want it you know because i think that that's another bridge to to kind of hopefully have some kind of developing understanding about like if you know you're not okay but the gp waiting list is x long what do i do then who do that who do i then go and ask and i think that that's a little bit of a a grey area that hopefully organisations like us and lots of really great organisations across the city that we're all we're all becoming hopefully more accessible. There is a lot of help out. Yeah, there is a lot of help that can be accessed in the city, but it's knowing it's knowing how to access that. You know, there's there's there is space for her, but there are other organisations. So we've talked quite a lot about how to access therapy and the importance of therapy. Shall we touch a little bit on what what is therapy? Quite a big question, I suppose, but I'll throw this question out. What do you think, if you could draw upon some of the themes of what you've taken from your own therapeutic journey, what would that what would that be? Okay, so for me, what I found was that I kind of felt like I was always having the same outcomes with things I would notice there were patterns in how I was feeling and how dynamics with people were playing out and I would always end up feeling let down or negative in in some way and what I couldn't find was what the actual pattern was so I didn't know what it was about when I started having therapy it was like well actually thinking about it that would link to that So once I started making links, I kind of had an awareness of, okay, what might happen in my life that would also link to that pattern. And when I noticed the link, I could deal with it differently because I was aware of it. I think a lot of people kind of go through a process of feeling like this always happens to me. get it quite a lot with relationship breakdowns. Mm -hmm. Someone will come in and they'll say, you know, oh this always happens, this is what always happens in relationships. So there will be a pattern in there and it's almost like bringing that pattern into the awareness and once you've got that you can then go okay I could respond differently to that. So for me that's been one of the best aspects of therapy in facilitating. You've you've touched on some of the really important things that you've gained from therapy 
I guess it'd be really useful to, to think about some other things. So in that relationship between you and your therapist, what kind of what kind of importance do you place or what things have you found um, helpful in that relationship between you? For me personally, I think the biggest thing is that a therapist is a person as well. Yes, they've got training and experience and knowledge, but they are there to help you to understand yourself more and and they want to understand your world as well and what it's like to be in your world. I think having that regular dedicated space to go and offload what was happening in my world with somebody who isn't going to fix it, they're not going to tell me what to do, they're going to give me the space to just reflect on where I am in that and kind of think for myself, okay, what do I want to do with this, if anything? That has been so important for me to kind of have that support. And I wonder, because sometimes you see um, sort of things flash up on Facebook saying, you know, all the therapy I need is my friends and a glass of wine sort of thing, which, you know, you know that might be okay for some people, but it's, it's not for everyone. And I think one of the things that a good therapeutic relationship can offer is something different to what your friends or family can offer. Your friends and family know you so well and they've got a vested interest in in you, whatever that might be. They care about you, they're with you and they probably just want you to be okay but actually aren't able to explore with you why you are feeling like you are. And I think, you know, that's my experience that, you know, by having somebody independent, I have a therapist, who I've been with for five or six years, uh, well, actually at the start of my training journey, and um, to have that space with somebody that is unconditional and judgment-free, completely safe and confidential, a space that just allows me to be and explore is, is massive. I don't think many of us are ever really able to access that in any other way in our lives, and that that's the special bit about that relationship, I think. It absolutely is, because I think you, you just touched on it there, Laura, but there's something about like you having a really trusting relationship, but one that is one removed from your, your life, in essence. You know, so you don't have to be concerned about saying something that will upset a therapist, or you can just be brutally honest, which, let's admit, you know, that that's, that's quite a refreshing notion, um, I think, because... I have some great friends and I have some fantastic conversations, but there's just, there's something about having that one space that's mine, mm-hmm. you know, that's just mine. And, and I think that being able to dump <laughs> a lot of the stuff that's in, in my head is just, is just really, 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 really helpful. Cause I think, you know, in friendships, you're mindful of letting the other person have their space and, and, you know, and I, and I think that, yeah, it's really, really freeing it makes me feel lighter often when I walk out of out of therapy because I've been able to kind of just say those niggles that are are going on or oh I don't say that I might sound a bit stupid well yeah yeah, there I absolutely do yeah I I mean myself I've been in therapy for quite a long time as well and um it's been revolutionary and it it, and it kind of it's interesting how it evolves as well because I think at some points in life when I've been going through a really hard time. It's like it's been like pivotal. It's been somewhere where I can go and really, really 
God, get upset and and be seen to be upset. And then other times when I've been ticking along a, a bit more merrily, it's it's a space for real reflection and kind of working out what I've done, why I've done that, you know. And so I think that it evolves as well, doesn't it? Therapy, or oh, that's been my experience anyway. Um, you know, it kind of evolves and moulds to whatever's going on for you in your life at, at that time, which I think is is fascinating, really. I remember when I started therapy um, being really, really worried that whatever I was going to take was just going to sound totally irrational and that it was just going to be like, I'd just, yeah, I'm beyond help. Really worrying about that. And I think I certainly come across a lot of clients who have that worry now. And actually, it's not like that at all. It's like, however irrational or frightening or weird your thoughts and feelings might be, it's okay. You know, you can go to therapy and it will be okay. And they will do everything they can to support you with that. Having that consistently has been the bit that I think has really impacted on me the most, is that kind of, I can go with whatever, it will be okay. Yeah, yeah you often find that don't you with your clients that come to you they've they've often got to that place of being really really frightened and scared of the thoughts that are revolving in their head or the feelings that they're they've got that they can't explain and the behaviors that they've got that they don't like you know it's it's a very can be a very lonely alienated place to be pre-therapy and in those early days of getting there so it can be a really brave thing actually to sort of actually say this is what's going on for me and I need help then getting the help and sitting down with somebody that you don't know to tell them actually this is what my internal world looks like it is really helpful to sort of debunk some of those myths around what what it might be like actually sat with a therapist because you know you are safe in that relationship and we know actually this is a bit scary or very scary and it's all right to come to that not knowing what to do I've had that client say to me well I've put off and put off for therapy because I didn't know how to do it well there isn't a way how to do it you know kind of viewing it as a space for you in whatever format you want that to be is the way to do therapy that trusting holding space and to know that you've got that it's it's almost like having somebody in your corner in it <laughs> well that's the yeah that's how i found it and i think that that is that's a real prevailing thing for me yeah it's important and it, it means a lot and i think why is it so hard to find that space where you can just be who you are and let it all like spill out you know um and i think it's, it's it is really hard actually and our cultural space in our world of work relationships and stuff just to say well actually this is who I am and that's okay you know we've kind of all got a bit conditioned into having some sort of front or some sort of defense that that means that we can't always be 100% authentic perhaps that's something else that we need to be working towards you know Um, but yeah you can find that space with within a therapeutic relationship and and I think that in itself is a good treatment for the person that has become unwell or realised that they needed help. So I guess we've talked a lot about what therapy is and I suppose that we might have used a bit of language and stuff that, that isn't as accessible as it could be. I suppose, Emma, from your perspective as a psychotherapist, what kind of things do you see clients coming to you with? What the, like their expectations uh, or, the, or the, like, the myths that they hold around what what therapy is you know do you see any themes around that oh yeah massively um 
I have some absolute gems that people come with consistently. People have this belief that um, other people's problems are going to be more important and therefore their problems don't matter and therefore, you know, can't have therapy because it's not really that important. It's not worth bothering you about. And it matters because you matter. That's the bottom line as a therapist. That's what I would always say. If it matters to you, it matters. And that's what the therapist we're offering. We're offering you the space to work through that. So that would be one. Another one is I can only have therapy if something big has happened in my life. So classics would be relationship breakdown, bereavement, being involved in an accident, something like that. And actually you can have therapy for any reason at all. There is no set list of things. You might not really know why you want to have therapy. You might just feel a bit stuck or just generally quite overwhelmed. And, you know, that's fine. Go and have a session with a therapist, see how you feel and go from there. Thanks, Emma. Have you got any, Laura? Yeah, I just want to chip in with um, quite a common one that I went into this one actually with my therapy where you think that there is an answer and a magic wand to to your struggles you know that that if you do something then you will feel better or you will be recovered and unfortunately there isn't a formulated solution to to solve whatever it is that you're struggling with or your experience it's a journey and an exploration around you and how you're thinking feeling and behaving so of course you're an individual so there isn't a one-size-fits-all there, there isn't but I'd just like to add to that that actually in my personal journey that's one of the things that I've found the most useful um because that is just like ah I don't have to keep going towards something that isn't there <laughs> potentially so now I, I, I really I think that that can be um flip-sided can't it yeah I think it's a hard thing to tolerate like I could see with clients that that that's really disappointing actually to get into the therapy room and think you know if, if I do this therapy I am definitely 100% going to fix this problem that I've got. You know, we can't guarantee that. But what we can guarantee is that we will help and support you to do that. We will walk alongside you in making that change. And that is a more enduring and useful thing to walk away from therapy is being armed with the ability to make change as opposed to saying, if you do this, you'll be better because you know however many months weeks years down the line we don't know you might feel the same thing all over again you know whereas if you learn to do things in a different way you've kind of got that forever okay so we have talked about um different ways to access help and support throughout this podcast so in our show notes we will put some different links for you for different resources and spaces where you can access help and thank you for listening. We hope that you got something out of, of listening to this podcast today. And if you would like to contact us, find us at www.s2bh.org or find us on the usual social media channels.